We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 54. Our guest today is an amazing dressage rider. She also jumps. She can do it all. She has an incredible story, which is a great representation of equestrian sport. And if you have the passion with enough hard work, you can make anything happen. So I'll let her do the rest of the talking. So here's our guest today, Aless Gunderson. Would love to talk a little bit about how you got into the riding world, um, what that all looked like for you starting out. Oh man, that brings me way back into a faraway <laughs> place. <laughs> um, so if people don't know, I actually grew up um, in Malaysia. Um, my dad is from Chicago. My mom's from the Philippines, but they loved Malaysia so much and um, lived over there and I was born there. So that's kind of where I started riding. My dad is a little bit of a John Wayne fan, loves all that cowboy stuff. And yeah. so when I was three years old, he got a phone call about a ex racehorse that they wanted to put down and they like kind of knew that he like had an obsession with horses and all yeah. that stuff. And so he was like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take him. Oh, cool. Funny. Like, what's it going to cost me anything? And they were like, no, you know, either he gets shot or, or you take him. He's like, okay, great. And so we ended up having this ginormous, like 17, two racehorse wow. in, our, in our yard in Malaysia in this jungle. I had never owned horses before. My parents had ridden I never owned horses before. And we ended up like taking him out to a friend's place where they had like a lot of property. You know, Malaysia has a lot of palm oil plantations. Okay. Um, so they had that. So we finally were able to find a place that was more uh, horse, horse friendly. And my dad would let me kind of start taking little, you know, walks on, on this giant. And I started to get, I guess, the horse bug and it started with little 30 minute sessions and I could ride, you know, on a, a friend's pony every now and then, you know, still having the thoroughbred in our family. <laughs> what a mess. <laughs> and, um, that kind of like developed to finding a local kind of riding school, which I say local, you know, this is not like driving 10 minutes down the road. Like we have the luxury here in Wellington. Like this was driving an hour and a half on the yeah. weekend yeah. <laughs> to go to a riding school and, and take some lessons. And my mom took lessons too. And my dad had that thoroughbred that he was <laughs> still had <laughs> and he wouldn't take lessons. He would just ride around with his cowboy hat. And had he ridden he, much at all before? Or no, like he from, was like from trail movies. riding yeah, <laughs> yeah. movies and, yeah. and trail riding in Australia because that's where they met in Australia. Okay. So like they'd done like outback tours and all nice. that stuff. And he was like, Oh, you can learn anything from books. <laughs> like, oh, there you go. That's yeah, it. This is like pre YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> like no, like how to post intro on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. And so, yeah, that kind of developed and, and my sister, and I actually got really into it. And long story short, my parents were semi-retired and wanted to open a like bed and breakfast resort and they wanted to open it in the jungle. And they thought, how great would it be to not only let our giant thoroughbred live there, but why don't we save more thoroughbreds? Ah. <laughs> so, um, you know, my, my dad, he, he will never admit it, but he's a sucker for animals. 
<laughs> if my dog like doesn't eat in the morning, he'll like hand feed it, trying to eat, yeah, yeah. You know, trying to get him to eat. Um, so we ended up being the people to call if people didn't like have a situation or a home for their horses. And then, so if, also people don't know, Malaysia is very close to Singapore, which has one of the biggest racing industries and racetracks in Southeast Asia. So a lot of thoroughbreds get sent from Australia, Hong Kong, America, and they're really nice. And a lot of them, they just don't use for racing or they're not good enough. So they'll either euthanize them or they'll call us, see if uh, we can make either a riding school horse out of them or a trail cool. horse. And every now and then, my sister and I would get first pick on these three-year-olds that would come that would actually be quite cute and quite nice. And we would make them into our little like sport horses. Cool. Um, so that's kind of like how I became competitive in the, mm-hmm. in the sport. How old um, were you at that age when you were able to kind of like pick yeah. out your horses? I remember my first one that my dad was like, okay, like you can take your pick now. I think I was 12. (laughs) And at that age, like what were you looking for? I was looking for basically an enlarged pony. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I had a pony at the time that was one of the first ponies I ever ridden and the riding center closed down and they're like, Hey, do you want like all our horses? And so I was like, basically, okay, I want something that looks cute and that's not too big. Right. That's, you know, like a little bit of a bigger version of a pony. So I ended up getting this black, he was black with a white star and he had white um, hind legs. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's black beauty. Yeah. Yeah. And his name was (laughs) super conqueror. (laughs) Um, and it was awesome because, I mean, if he was, I mean, the problem with that though, is I didn't realize how quickly I was going to grow. So that little bit enlarged pony quickly became very small for me. So I look back <laughs> at my pictures and I'm like, oh God, like what was I thinking? But I actually ended up keeping that one until I was six, 15, 16 and brought him all the way up till he was nine. I had him. And then I ended up training him up to um, intermediate, which was like, for a thoroughbred, I, I mean, okay, intermediate, I say that, but now when I <laughs> when I think back, <laughs> I'm like, that was definitely not Pia. <laughs> but, but, you know, back then it was a totally different caliber of sport, okay? Yeah. And we killed it in the canter work, so it was fine. Amazing. It was, you know, it was a really cool experience for me growing up as a young rider. You know, also in that country, we don't have, it's not really set up like the U.S. is great for young riders. You have stepping stones, you mm-hmm. have your children's, your juniors, you have a lot of opportunities to grow as a rider. Mm-hmm. Um, over there, there really wasn't any, I would, I think I was one of four kids that was riding. So there really wasn't a lot of like strategy for, mm-hmm. <laughs> for young riders to develop. So right. it was nice to like have the ability to kind of bring up and train horses at that age and, mm-hmm. and kind of not really worry about failing. I just, you know, it was fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I think I learned a lot there that I, I still today, you know, think about in my riding when I'm bringing up the horses here today. It's a totally different caliber of horse today, but you know, the same things apply as far as you know, patience, creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, I mean, I think it was a really unique but but great um, upbringing in my yeah. career. <laughs> yeah, totally. So at this point, you are like 16, 17 years old. At what point were you starting to think like, okay, what am I going to want to do? Am I, were you thinking so, horses? What, what was in your mind? If I, uh, okay. So I guess scale back a little bit. When I was 12 on my pony, this is like pre the nice thoroughbred that I got, they had this series of shows around the world and it was called the FEI World Dressage Challenge. So 
people my age and older probably remember it. I don't know if they do it anymore, but it was, it was fantastic because what would be done is like European judges would travel around to countries that didn't have access to that type of like knowledge, a type of judge judging. And so these judges would travel to different countries and judge this FEI world dressage challenge. And I would compete in the children's division and basically they judge you. And then the next day you have the opportunity to ride with them in a clinic, which was like legendary because Mm -hmm. like I could not afford to fly in a trainer from Europe all the way there. And there was really, you know, there was good, good enough trainers there, but not to the extent of what you have in Europe. So we would ride with these judges and then the judges would go and to their next country you know for us and they would go to India and then go to Singapore you know that kind of thing and at the end of this series your score gets put against everyone else in your region and so you can see how you compare to everyone else in your region and then the top two in each region in each category so I was children's get to go compete in the finals which was in Germany So I qualified twice. So I was in the children's category, 12 to 14. So I qualified both years I was eligible and I traveled over to Europe and competed in the finals. So that was kind of like my first reason to go to Europe. And, you know, going there, I was like, I'm not going there just to participate. So I, (laughs) I convinced my parents to let me go early and get like a riding like a riding training, I would call it now like a little two week boot camp. Yeah. Um, at a barn there. So I was able to do that. I basically like worked at the barn. You know, we were up at five feeding. I did a lot of grooming. I learned how to use a horse walker for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, you know, ride and learn how to rap. I like never knew how to rap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and basically stayed there and, and rode a lot of those horses, you know, ponies, horses, and got a huge culture shock just from going from the little thoroughbreds yeah. and getting on these giant horses. And then I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, they're not going to give me like some big, I'm a kid, right? This is children. It's like, there's going to be a lot of ponies for sure. Sure. Well, when you, when I got there, you draw your horse out of a hat Mm -hmm. and it's organized by size. And I was a very tall child. And so I was obviously in this tall category I kid you not. I this giant. Like, okay, I don't maybe now if I saw him it wouldn't be that bad. But I was like, oh my god. <laughs> it looks like this horse ate my thoroughbred. Yeah. Like oh it was giant. Gosh. And you ride against another rider on that same horse. So it's like head to head. A little bit like how the NCA does it, I think. Yeah. And, all that. And I was head to head with this like Russian girl who's like clearly <laughs> has been like bred to do this. Right. Okay? Like she right. has been bred to do dressage, like mm-hmm. long legs, like strong muscles. I'm like, you can't have muscles as a 12 year old. Like what is yeah, this? Yeah. And just like, it was like Russian Academy of dressage. Uh-huh. I, I'm pretty sure that was actually where she rode. <laughs> Perfect. He was lovely, but like, I was yeah. like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like she had a There's nice, no like, way. no, she had like a nice helmet, like mm-hmm. without, you know, like back then it was like the velvet helmets without oh, the yeah. And I'm like riding in my trail ride helmet. I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, like, this is terrible. <laughs> nice, proper, like custom boots. I'm literally riding mm-hmm. in boots that I had a motorcycle shop make me. So that was my first year. And then the second year I was like, oh, hell no, I'm coming back. I didn't do that bad actually the first year. I was in the top 10. So that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then the second year I went back and I was in the top five, I actually got the opportunity and offered to ride at the place that, that hosts the finals. 
Hmm. So this place is Puff Castleman where PSI runs their auctions and all of this. So it was an amazing opportunity. So I actually, when I was 14, every spring, spring break and summer, I got the opportunity to go and ride there. I'm a nice. train. So, and train meaning more like work, <laughs> work and train. Like I had like five horses that were like mine to ride. And then, you know, we mucked stalls, we pushed feed carts. Mm-hmm. Oh, get, that's how you get muscles. That's yeah. Muscles. There you but, go. Yeah, you push that feed cart and you, you muck straw. Like that's, uh-huh. oh God, it was embarrassing. So that was kind of like my first step into like what the professional riding world was. I got to mm-hmm. see and ride around like Bianca Kesselman and Insa and, and all these fantastic German riders. You know, Ulf Müller was there at the time and um, it was really amazing to get to ride around them and see them work. So that was my first kind of like step in to it. And when I was 16, I had this conversation with my parents. I'm sure a lot of kids like have this conversation today still. And I was like, I want to be a professional writer. And my parents were like, that's funny. <laughs> and I was like, no, really, I really think that I can yeah. be like good at this. And they were like, that's pretty funny. <laughs> and so I had a deal with them that if I wanted to, you know, give this whole writing thing a try, mm-hmm. I needed to get my college education. I need to go to university. And I was like, that's so far away university. Like, yeah. It's forever. And so for like fun, I was like, let's see if I can get into university now. Uh-huh. So at 16, I did. And I <laughs> went and <laughs> I left for university at 16 in the US. Wow. Um, and I left to do that. I actually got a scholarship to ride at a university um, and do all the NCAA stuff. Never done hunters before in my life. Literally Perfect. like made my video and I was like, oh, look, they tuck their hair in their hat. I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to like try to do that. Uh And I was like, oh, they're like standing up all the time. Cool. I'm going to like stand up when I jump too. And we always, we, we always jumped and did dressage growing up. That wasn't, you you didn't, you never did just one because there really wasn't enough riders. So we did both. Um, and I think I actually like, I jumped like pretty, pretty big. I'd say I jumped like the young rider world cups and stuff at home. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I was like arriving full ride scholarship, you know, like hot shit, got my Nike merchandise. Yeah. It was amazing. Like you're, you know, doing your morning workouts with like the football team. Like this is like legit. Yeah. And then I like went to like work with the horses and I'm like, oh my gosh, like literally this is the dressage was like not more than like first level or second level dressage. And I was like, I can't do this for like the next four years because right. then my, my training if you're, you know, being over in Europe is just going to go backwards. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't have the opportunity to own a horse outside. Right. I think, you know, a lot of the kids today that can do it in university, they have their own horses outside sure. and they're able to still like progress, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to do that. So I ended up moving to San Diego. Oh my gosh. I'm just realizing how long my life story of horses. I is love it. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to be very creative, like to, mm-hmm. if you kind of don't come from a riding family and you're yeah. like trying to figure it out. So I moved to San Diego, uh, pedaled back. I got into a car accident in Kansas. That was horrible. Oh gosh. Um, Is that where you went to school? Yeah. I had the scholarship at Kansas state. Go Wildcats. Um, (laughs) And met my best friend over there. who was my roommate forever. She moved to San Diego also. Um, And it was like a fantastic experience. And 
it ended short because I got into a really bad car accident and mm. I was out like I was in a wheelchair and having to do, do a lot of physiotherapy. So I couldn't ride anyway. So wow. and the winters suck there. Yeah. So I was like, why don't I like move? I had extended family in California. So I was like, okay, I'm going to transfer out to California. And I transferred to university of San Diego. So I was over there getting back into being able to do like physical exercise. You know, I started with Pilates as a really good chiropractor and physiotherapist. I worked out there that specialized in like spinal injuries mm. Um, and I was able to really crack down on school and like get a really yeah. good education at the same time. Right. Um, and then when I was able to kind of try riding again, I reached out to Stefan Peters over there and basically was able to, I had a friend in Europe that found like kind of a cute dressage horse well, cute. He was like 17 hands, but like a nice dressage horse. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you know, um, he's not very expensive. Why don't you take him over and you can have him, you know, in San Diego and kind of bring him up. So we did that, brought him over. I kind of rode at, uh, at Stefan's rode some of his horses. I was in school full time. So it was basically as much as I could do outside of school. I kind of rode and helped and groomed and did all that. I don't know. I went back and I, and I felt like I wasn't, I don't know whether it was because I expected that I was going to be just like how I was, you know, mm -hmm. before the, the accident, but I really was very disappointed in, in my strength and my ability at the time. Yeah. So I ended up selling the horse back to Europe, back to a German, which was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and kind of went again on this break from riding, you know, and it, it was great. No one, no one would have thought that I was like not wanting to ride. Like I, I rode a lot of horses that actually a horse that went to the Olympics for Australia at Stefan's. And so it wasn't anything to do with, you know, from the outside what it looked like, but I think because I had gone through this accident and nothing quite had like been working up mm -hmm. to that point. Like I made this big move. I thought it was going to be fantastic. And then it wasn't. And then I kind of changed my plan and then I right. started to ride and it just like, wasn't what my like original plan was. And I think that's why I was getting really like down about it. Yeah. So I stopped riding again and finished up school. I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on school, be a college student. Because yeah. <laughs> so, it's hard too having to like do your best outside of school and, you mm -hmm. know, try to be active at school, try to be part of like the social scene, try to be, you know, to have fun. It's just, it was really, really tough. And I couldn't right. give a hundred percent to everything. And you, and you just had transferred too. So it was like yeah. all new people, all yeah, new all situation. New and I like, they had like a little equestrian team there, but I like didn't really want to like go and, you know, into that comfort zone again. I wanted to like mm -hmm. make my own friends and, and see what university in the U S was about. So that was really fun and I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I had a good time in a sorority. It was, it was great. And so after I graduated, before a side note, because I went to university so early, totally backfired on me. Couldn't go to my own graduation party because I was 20. Uh, so like that backfired on me. Um, I had to like, pay, couldn't use a fake ID either because it wasn't, yeah. they had my name from the class. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was kind of backfire. That's fine. Um, I didn't even think about that. But no, yeah. it's like, I was like, literally, no, I actually like was planning what to wear and everything. And I was like, my roommate was like, you know, it's at, it was at this club. I was like, yeah, no, I love that place. It's great. And they're like, have a, you're going to have to go like as you. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> you're right. That's right. <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're not going to let you in. I'm like, Damn it. <laughs> oh, man. 
<laughs> but I graduated and then um I actually like at that point I was like, okay, maybe I was like, I either need to get a real job. Like I was modeling at the time. I was like, I can keep modeling or I can get a real job. I'm like, I can't do this modeling game forever. That's way, I'm way too hungry. And I'm like, I can't keep this that much longer. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, either I have to get a real job or I'm going to have to try this like writing thing again. And so I ended up going and looking like at like horse ads, like on, I think it was like dream horse ads or dream something. It was like a classified on horses. Right. And looking at horses that were like under 10 grand. Yeah. <laughs> Slim pickings at that point, I'll tell you. Yes. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like, I can do this. I've done the whole thoroughbred thing. It's fine. And I went and tried some horses. Um, and I, and I had not told the people that I was trying that I hadn't sat on a horse for like two years, mm-hmm. but I went, you know, sound like, okay, this is all right. And I, I remember how to post great. I can remember how to put a horse in the bit. Awesome. Cool. That's good. I was like, some of them were jumping. I'm like, cool. I remember how to jump kind of awesome. And I ended up coming across this mare that was like impeccably bred. It was the full sister of a Carl Hester's Utopia Olympic horse and just didn't want to do dressage anymore. And it didn't want to do life anymore, I guess. And it was very inexpensive and mm. she was stunning. She was black with a white blaze and just stunning. But I ended up getting her for a little under five grand. She was very inexpensive, basically. And I found a place where I could keep her in Temecula, where it was like from where I lived, it was like very far to drive. Yeah. San Diego was too expensive. And so I drove out there. I found this place where I could exchange riding for, for board and care. So that's what I did. And figured out she really didn't want to do dressage. So <laughs> street drive jumping. And she was not bad. She was cute. And kind of like brought her along. I had my boyfriend at the time, like setting jumps for me. It was a weird situation. <laughs> like he would set jumps for me and had nothing to do with horses. Like from oh, yeah, nothing. Oh, nothing. <laughs> Like did, did crew, like wrote, like did crew and that, and like, that was about it. And so finally though, it started getting pretty decent. And I had met a friend in a, my senior, one of my last classes at university that, um, had really nice jumping horses. I was like, Hey, like I kind of like need like a trainer at this point and a barn. Like, do you know Benny? So I was able to go and, and stable with her and start training with her and her trainer or with her trainer. And, um, kind of got back into the showing, got back into to jumping. My flat was obviously very good. So I was able to flat a lot of horses for them yep. um, and was able to exchange, you know, for costs of things that way. Um, and started to really do well and, and jump pretty big with her. And we ended up selling her as a, like a children's junior jumper. Nice. Um, and she's like still going around, like still like follow Aww. on Instagram, the owner. <laughs> And that. she's doing awesome. And, you know, when I decided to sell her, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm riding now. I'm riding multiple horses a day. I'm, I'm pretty fit at this point. Now I need to like go head in and like figure out this is what I want to do. Or I can't be like a hobby amateur, like adult amateur. Right. Like, I just don't have like the finances to. Yeah. It doesn't be, pay the bills. Know. Yeah. No, I can't do that. <laughs> Taking a quick breather because I want to talk to you about Platinum Performance, who is sponsoring this episode. Platinum Performance has been fueling Alessa's horses since 2012. For over 20 years, Platinum Performance has been improving the lives of horses by impacting health at the cellular level through advanced nutrition. Alessa told me the other day that she gets the perfect pack for each horse, individualized to suit what that horse needs to perform and feel their best. Platinum performance. It starts within. Okay, let's get back to Aless. 
And so I sold everything, sold my car, sold the horse, obviously didn't, didn't sell my dogs, kept my dogs, sold <laughs> my clothes, like everything. Mm-hmm. My roommates were awesome. They helped me have like garage sales. Love um, and I moved um, to Sweden to a dressage barn. I was wow. like, I need to give dressage a go because I always felt that I was a little better at dressage. I always felt like I was built more for dressage and, and I, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I, and I felt that that was a good probably also less competitive route to go. There's not as many, you know, dressage riders as show jumpers. You see right. here at WEF, there's like a thousand entries in one class. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, so let's see if I can really do this. I moved mm-hmm. to a stable in Sweden and how did I you find that stable? Oh, Google. <laughs> Google. <laughs> well, well, how else? <laughs> Google. Girl. And what freak. was the, what was the interaction? What was the like, I guess like, uh, were you going to be working there? Were you just going to be riding there? What did that look like? So I was going to be, so I didn't have a horse, right? So I was basically going to be working and riding there, what they had available, Mm. which, you know, like at the time wasn't so many. And, and, you know, I, I, like anyone, you you always think when you're a working student, you're going to be able to like ride all these horses, but realistically, like you're not until you like get to prove yourself. Like why would they give you these horses? Exactly. (laughs) So I worked my ass off. I I lived at the barn. I brought my dogs. That was pretty great. (laughs) And I, you know, went on this journey with them. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, I think I need to get a horse. (laughs) If I really want to be like trying to pursue like a competitive career, I was like, looking at all these professionals, I'm like, okay, I can do all these movements, you know, at home, all the movements came quite easy to me. Um, I was like, I need to be able to now compete and, and have like a name for myself. So I ended up being able to find a horse that a young, well, she was like an under 25 rider in Germany. Um, they wanted to retire, but the horse like literally could not retire. Like every mm-hmm. time they would leave with the horse truck, he would like colic because he was so stressed Aww, about not yeah. going to the shows. So I was able to to get him and he was older. I mean, he was 17. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get like six months out of you. <laughs> um, like, I don't know, bro. Like, uh-huh. Let's see. All he wanted to do was to work and to compete. And I mean, that horse is like a story in itself. If you ever do a podcast on horses that try to kill themselves, let's oh, do that. Okay. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> like he was just a fighter of a horse that wow. really like shouldn't be there, shouldn't have been there. And there's so many times that that horse had bad luck that he mm. came through and pulled through, but wow. he just wanted to be there. And I ended up taking him to Florida in 2015. Actually, that year, 2015, I like told the guy that I was riding for and who was training me. I was like, I think I want to try to qualify for the Olympics. Why <laughs> not? Like, right? Uh, he was like, uh, okay, <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> how do we suppose we do that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm gonna have to like start competing and start riding through the Grand Prix and doing some international shows. And he was like, okay, well, in Sweden, you can't just start a Grand Prix. You have to like start from the lower level and work your way up. You have to score like over 65% twice and then move up. And so I did that. I think I might, might be the fastest person I ever do. I did it in one show. I was like, okay, today we are doing this level. Tomorrow we. <laughs> And this horse was like, it was Dutch KWPN um, horse. He was like a little like machine, like could go, go, go. And he loved it. Like Mm. like, puppy dog on the ground. Like I I remember doing my first ever international show and it was a trot up. And there was this, if you know dressage, she is like one of the most legendary dressage um, judges um, from Germany. She wears this big coat and I walk up and she kind of looks at me and I'm like, 
this is my first trot up. I have no idea what to do here. And she was like, hmm. and she comes and like shows me how to stand and like teaches me like how to present the horse and all this stuff. Wow. And this horse, like literally, I was like, I'd be there and I'd, I'd literally like put the reins above his neck and like just let him stand there and be taking off the boots and people be looking at me like, <gasps> like having like a mini heart attack. I'm <laughs> like, oh no, he's fine. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so I was able to move over here for the season. I had gotten um, qualifying scores, like my minimum eligible requirement for the Olympics. Um, and I was riding for, I'm riding for the Philippines. And so I moved over here for the season. And, you know, also again, we like knew no one here <laughs> and started to compete here. And it was an amazing season for him because, like, all of a sudden we were like, wow, Adequan, what's that? <laughs> okay, let's give it to him. And he was like, I feel amazing. <laughs> I feel like a seven year old. Oh and, my gosh. Um, and so that, you know, he kind of like really started, I really started to get known at that point. Um, also, I think because my story is so random and, like really, if you think about it, anyone could have done what I did. Like there really was nothing special about what I did. And like, there was no connections involved. Like, thank God Google gave me a good search, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so cool. And so, yeah, I really like took off down here in, in Wellington and I met my husband at the time. Like he wasn't my husband, obviously at the time, but <laughs> now he is. And, um, you know, really, really took off there and kind of started, started everything for me. He was, you know, I just was like, wow, this is great. I'm riding the dream. I'm doing mm -hmm. five-star Grand Prix and this is amazing. And he was like, no, you can actually like really be good at this. Like you can make this like your career. Like I, it, you know, he's a professional show jumper and he's like, no, this is what I do here. Like you can do this for dressage. So he's really, you know, guided me a lot since, since meeting him on how to, how to kind of navigate the horse world. And for me, it's always just, I, I want to make it my career because there's got to be other people like there out there like me and I want to help them kind of have access to that type of training, you know, totally. have access to that type of guidance, you know, be able to do this sport. Yes. It's a very extreme like luxury sport here in the U S but mm -hmm. it's, it's not impossible for a lot of people in Europe. It's not like that. It's not a sport of luxury. It's a, you know, you're considered, you're like a farmer over there if you're a horse. Yeah. Trainer. It's much more mainstream. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I want people to kind of realize that here because there are a lot of talented riders out there that, that need that kind of assistance and, and guidance. And okay, if they're not able to afford the sport themselves, you know, there's people out there that can support them and that should be supporting riders with that type of talent and, yeah. and passion for the sport. So that's kind of like what's brought me here, here today. And, and I've obviously dressage has been my forte and it's what I've done the most internationally and at a high level. Um, but I still love my, my jumpers. And, uh, I think because of my strength in dressage, but then because I've jumped for so long in mm -hmm. my life, I've been able to kind of help a lot of jumpers with their flat and help them understand how having good flat work and, you know, dressage for jumpers, mm -hmm. um, how that can really help them. So I think I'm really lucky to be able to do both disciplines still in a way that I like to do it. I don't have to go have a full string of jumpers. I don't have yeah. to have six horses and, and be jumping every weekend, but I can still work with a lot of fantastic jumpers and I can still help a lot of jumping riders with their horses. Right. I know that you work uh, with Kent Farrington a bit. How did yeah. that relationship come to be and what do you do with him now? 
That started actually when I started riding a horse for his at the time girlfriend, uh, Tiffany Foster. Okay. And he was putting in cold saltwater spa at Tiffany's barn. Nice. And he was like, I had recently talked to him, like, maybe I should, you know, freelance and flat some, some jumpers for, Mm -hmm. for people. And he was like, yeah. So he kind of mentioned it to Tiffany, like, Hey, you know, like my girlfriend, my fiance at the time, she's a really good dressage rider, but she also knows, you know, jumpers really well. Maybe if you have anything you need flatted, she can, she can do it. She's very inexpensive right now because she's not ever done it before. And I was very inexpensive. Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, I would love to find a writer like myself to help uh-huh. me out today. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, so she was like, you know what? I, I have a horse that's not, you know, it's not liking what it's doing. It needs some help. So maybe we can see how it goes. So I started working with that horse, which really did not like dressage, but it, it was going quite well. And she had me rides a couple other horses for her as well like some of her own and I was like oh yeah these are nice horses <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is fantastic like they were super nice horses and that developed into more horses and then one day she said to me you know how do you do you teach I was like well yeah like definitely I can teach no but would you be okay teaching like jumpers like on the flat I was like definitely you know I can basically teach them kind of what I do she was like, okay, well, I'm going to let Kent know because he's kind of looking for someone to help his students with the flat. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I remember she said to me, yeah, he might have you ride some. I was like, totally, that's fine. And she goes, but his horses aren't like mine, okay? <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. She's like, no, like, like, you know, mine, I like, you know, kind of quiet and, and they're, you know, they're, they kind of are like dressage horses. I'm like, okay. His are not. I'm like, oh, that's fine. He's like, she was like, yeah, you know, they're kind of spicy and a little feisty and, and, you know, like, you know, a little special. I was like, that's okay. Like I've done the thoroughbreds. Like it's fine. Mm -hmm. Like, don't worry about it. So I ended up, you know, starting to work with his students that season and help a lot of them on the flat and, you know, give them, it was, it was a little bit, I was a little bit like, okay, what do I do? Do I teach them dressage? Like, do I have them like half passing it by the end of the season? Yeah. Um, but it was really great to have Kent kind of there because he really helped kind of shape how I did my sessions. You know, ideally, obviously, in an ideal world, they would work with Kent a hundred percent of the time, right? Right. Um, they would learn and, and just, you know, take in everything that is Kent Farrington and, right. and, and become the phenomenal rider that he is. But obviously like Kent doesn't have enough time for that. Right. Nobody does. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was really great for me to be able to work with him using my expertise and, and my professionalism and kind of come up with a way of training that helped his riders become, you know, better jumpers in the end, but better flat riders and become professionals, you know, become better horsemen, mm-hmm. horsewomen. So that was amazing to, to work with him that season. And then that kind of developed into, you know, unfortunately that was when he had that fall where mm-hmm. he broke his leg. Um, so that, you know, I happened to be there. So that kind of which by chance got me to be riding a lot of his horses. So I rode mm-hmm. a lot of his horses that season. And then that's when he asked if I wanted to go to Spruce with them. And at the time, I also had a Grand Prix horse that I was qualified for World Cup finals on and that I was planning on taking a wagon. And I was, remember thinking, huh, take my dressage horse to Spruce Meadows. <laughs> and I, I ended up doing that. So I took him um, to Spruce Meadows, which was fantastic. Like 
it was so funny putting on jumping tack and doing one tempies around the warm up because people thought they were like, oh, is that a jumper? I was like, you'll never know. <laughs> and he was kind of like, he was so athletic and he kind of looked like a jumper. So it was, a, yeah. it was so much fun, like just messing with people. Yeah. Uh, and I remember super fun side story. Uh, George Morris was there riding and George Morris has like phenomenal flat. Like yeah. I'm so impressed. And I remember he was going around on one of Brian's, Captain Brian's horses, and he was doing three tempies, like, around. I was like, oh, look at this legend, like, doing three tempies, like a boss. And he kind of goes by, and I kind of look at him, and I pick up my canner, and I start doing two tempies. I go around, yes. like, just casually by him, and kind of look at him, and he, like, kind of gives me, like, you know, that little, like... <laughs> like like frowny nod like hmm. uh-huh. and then he goes and he starts doing two tempies as well and i'm like this boss look at him like 80 what what is this and he goes around doing his two tempies i'm like legend um let me just one up you and went by him doing one tempies on my horse <laughs> and he stops and he stops me he goes that's not a jumper like in his little yes. like voice like that is not a jumper i'm like nope it is a dressage ah, <laughs> of course george morris would know and he was like cracking up and kind of giving oh, a little smile hilarious. and it was so funny but it was great I, I had him there and i was still you know riding and working full-time for kent there um it was long days at spruce because they have really long days but helping him warm up horses helping you know teaching my students there as well giving them lessons because obviously the show horses not all the horses show every week so still making sure they're working and getting mm-hmm. a good workout and staying fit um and then i went to belgium with him I did the same there. Um, of course, when you travel a lot more there, so a lot more horses were left at home. So right. they were left with us to flat. Um, and then we kind of kept that relationship up. And then even when I got pregnant, um, I kept teaching for him. He was very nervous about me being at the barn. He was like, <laughs> a lot of his students were like, can you still ride? I was like, yeah, totally. So I would like ride their horse and he was like, you need to stop riding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was funny. like, okay. Um, you you then, kept, you rode a few months into your pregnancy though, right? Till, till six months. Yeah. 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 And really, I think the only reason I stopped was because I had very young horses and they were my old, my Grand Prix horse. I retired that year and I, I still had him and I kept riding him that season, but then we send him up to Kentucky. And mm. I think, I think I probably would have rode that horse till the day I gave birth. Yeah. It was like so safe, but, um, there's such a weird stigma about pregnant ladies riding. Like there people is. freak out. There is. It's like, I mean, like I get it. Cause totally. sometimes I'll see people who are very pregnant and cause I've been through it. I'm like, Oh God, like that just looks painful. Yeah. And, but I think like, there's more stigma about after you give birth and about like getting back into it and about mm-hmm. being a mom later. Like someone said to me like, Oh, everything's going to change once you're a mom. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, no, no, you're going to feel totally different on the horse. You're going to be more scared because now you have a life at home. I was like, wait a minute. My life was just as valuable yeah. before. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, uh, okay, like, cool. I'm pretty sure like Georgina Bloomberg kills it every time she goes in like the jumping ring after she had a kid. Yeah. But I think there's like so much more like stigma like after and and a lot of people um a lot of people will like message me and they'll be like I really want to have a baby I really want to have a kid I'm at that point in my life but I'm so scared of what it will do to my writing career I'm like whoa like this is a career you can have until you're 70 if you want you cannot have a child when you're 70 right this is not this shouldn't be something that 
you are making a decision on based on your riding career. Like Mm -hmm. my husband told me like, even I was a little bit trying to plan. I was like, okay, like let's get pregnant right after WEG. And then so that I can have the baby and like be ready for the next season. You know, he was like, and he told me, he was like, there's never going to be a good time Mm -hmm. to have a baby. There's never the right time. There's always going to be something. And I think like you just have to, you know, if you really want to have a baby, you, you just have to have that as your, as your focus and everything else will be fine and mm-hmm. everything else will be okay. And whether it takes you six weeks to get back on the horse or six months, mm-hmm. which I've known two people that were just that I talked to Jessica Von Bredo, who's a German dressage rider. I mean, she was back on in like two weeks yeah. versus another rider who took six months before she could sit the trot again. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really different for everyone. So you can't kind of try to plan this part of your life. And I know as equestrian women, we like to plan everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's really something that we have to let go and to mm-hmm. accept and let nature kind of take its course and, and then just be grateful if you are if you are pregnant, like be, be, there's always going to be another horse. There's always going to be another horse show. It's always going to be another client, but you know, having life and giving life is, is something that's so unique. And, and I think something that if you want it, you know, it's so worth, so worth it. Totally. What would you say are some other areas of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry, again, kind of doesn't talk a lot about or doesn't know a lot about? I guess, yeah, the, the, the being a mom one is kind of, it's kind of a one that I feel yeah. strongly about, I think, yeah. just because I've heard from so many people that they have this, it's like, they almost like don't want to talk about it because they don't want people to judge them. But at the same time, it's something that needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just like try to really be there for people. And then I guess the other thing, you know, right now, with this whole quarantine virus going on yeah. in this moment, a lot of people are, are have mixed opinions about, you know, there's the horse shows being suspended and what it's doing to our sport and, and all of this such. But I think it really makes me want to bring everyone back to this place. Hey, like, we don't ride just for horse shows. Yes, we ride and we have a goal of competition. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're very fortunate that we can compete as much as we do. Right. But at the end of the day, like, let's just go back to what we, why we started doing this, you know, why we started riding. Okay. I know for everyone it's different, but for me, started riding because I liked it and I really loved being with the horses and spending time with them. And I, mm-hmm. there aren't any, you know, there aren't any number of Grand Prix that I will win that will take that away from me or that will change me. So I think a lot of people need to understand that. And, you know, a lot of the kids even today too, that I help, they're like, Oh, there's no horse shows. Like, mm, I, I don't want to ride. I think I'm just going to go back to like New York and leave my horses here to be ridden. I'm like, this is like the time where you should be either, you know, focusing on things that you were, you know, your weekend and that mm-hmm. you really need to do your homework on. Right. Or this is the time to like try something new. Like I have all my dressage horses at home right now jumping. And nice. Which is like <laughs> a comedy in itself. <laughs> One of them tried to jump the standards though. It was not, wow. did not work out well, but, but I mean, he was ambitious. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. You know, and it, so it's a time for that. It's a time to go, you know, trail ride to go do, you know, galloping sets out in a field yeah. if you have access to one. And it's, it's a time to really like try to get your horses to a place of healthy and happy. And we even 
we have, um, we use a water treadmill. My husband has, he owns Force Gym USA. Mind you, I don't have a water treadmill myself because I am the cobbler's <laughs> wife. Um, but uh, we take our horses to go water treadmill so that, you know, we get to to get them fit. And someone said to me the other day, oh, but then you're really only dressage training for two days out of the seven days. I'm like, so like, what's wrong with that? Like Mm -hmm. the other days are just as valuable for their brain and for the horses to have fun and to have, make their bodies happy. Like just right now is the time to only do two days of dressage. (laughs) Like they have enough going on during, Mm -hmm. during, you know, show season isn't just 12 weeks. Like that's real. It's, it's a lot more than 12 weeks. Yeah. And it just gets longer and longer nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Really. And I know like, I mean, obviously it, from, from speaking a little bit to some other dressage riders, it seems to be slightly lighter mm-hmm. though schedule, but right. I mean, being in the hunter jumper world, it's like, we're sometimes traveling like with like in the forties, as far as weeks go, like oh, 40 yeah. of the, you know, 50 weeks Absolutely. of the year. And that's just mm-hmm. how it is. And Horses are expected to like go in and go out and not ever have a break. And it's crazy. And it's a little bit, I think, why, you know, today you have to have that string of like five or six horses, because if you don't, you're, you're not going to have a horse longer than, you know, than a year, which is unfortunate. But I think, you know, people, if people are smart about how they manage their horses and how they maintain them you can keep horse longer, but unfortunately today it is so much about when's the next horse show. Mm-hmm. When is, you know, when is the next regionals or how many points do I have or right. you know that kind of thing. So unfortunately the horses kind of have to not suffer from that, but you know, they don't get, they get the short stick on that a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, so with this kind of thing happening, I think it's really um, reminding us that just good riding, let's just mm-hmm. ride and have fun and enjoy that we have access to them you know and, yeah. and you know from the hunter jumper world it's it is so competitive and the horses do get worked so much in the shows the horrible thing that's happening but we just might have our horses a little bit longer um, right. because this is happening yeah, yeah. that's a, yeah that's a really good point um well Aless, thank you so much for taking the time i feel like we could talk for like four Aww. more hours but <laughs> i know i feel like i'm always so nervous to do these podcasts i'm like god they're gonna like tell me to shut up <laughs> be like we're gonna have to cut you off here. Uh, no, I love it. I, your story is amazing. And I think it's going to be helpful to so many people. So thank you again. And I wish you all the best. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.